Welcome, everybody. Uh, you're here with us at School Psych Podcast, and we're excited to be talking about trauma tonight. There might be a little bit of confusion. We had initially scheduled Gozen to be here with us to talk about anxiety, and there was a last-minute kind of um, scheduling conflict. So we've kind of um, said, ah! <laughs> but we, I think we've got a really great topic, and we're looking for some good participation from everybody. Um, so, But to start us off, my name is Rachel, and I'm a school psychologist working in Maryland. Rebecca? Hi, I'm Rebecca. I'm a school psychologist working in the state of Connecticut. Um, now that Google Hangouts has become YouTube Live, it's really easy to participate. So I want to tell you a little bit about that. There should be a comment bar right next to our video that you're watching live now. Please leave your thoughts, questions, comments, experiences. We really would love this to be an interactive discussion. You can leave them right there next to the video or, of course, on either Facebook page, your um, school site, your school psychologist, or the school site podcast page, just in comments or messages, or on Twitter using the hashtag site podcast. And here's Anna. Hi, I'm Anna. I'm a school psych from New York State. Um, so we are doing this episode on our own. No expert guests tonight. And the three of us are just three random unique school psychs from three different states we're not experts but we we like to sometimes just have the three of us talk together and it's kind of a chance to collaborate and, and share with each other what we've learned or experienced and all that good stuff so um rebecca you did a little bit of research um to prepare for this episode and you were telling us about some things would you mind sharing a little bit about um what you looked into today Absolutely, sure. So I um, did some searching on NASP website. And of course, NASP has a um, some really nice resources on trauma for you um, out there if you're members of NASP. But also, they have um, a trauma, um, they have some trauma resources for just the general public as well. And so Besides um, looking on NASP, you'll see if you go to either of the Facebook pages, and we're going to add them here too on, on YouTube Live, a, lo a bunch of links that I found um, so shared and supported by lots of people who are interested in this topic of trauma and trauma-informed schools. Um, so there's lots of great information out there, and I think people out there in education are thinking more and more about trauma these days because of... Um, well, maybe starting with the ACE, ACEs study. I first learned about the ACEs study a while ago reading Paul Tuff's um, first book. Paul Tuff was a, a guest on our podcast not too long ago. And his first book, How Children Succeed, How, How Children Succeed, um, talked about the ACEs study, which was a study of adverse childhood experiences. And in that study, they took a group of um, people, and they were mostly middle class I think mostly white insured adults. And they looked at um, how many childhood, adverse childhood experiences those that group had. And what they found was, let me just find my notes. <laughs> um, what they found was that of the group, most people, a third, had... Um, at least one adverse childhood experience. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Two-thirds of that group had experienced at least one adverse childhood experience. Um, and a subset of that experienced at least two. Three percent of the group 
that had one adverse childhood experience had a behavior or learning problem um, as a result of that. And if pe- if they had three or more, fifty percent of that group had a behavior or le- had behavior or learning problems. So the way that people have been talking about the conglomeration of adverse childhood experiences is like a lowercase t trauma or chronic stress because sometimes those experiences are capital T major traumas like uh, losing a loved one or um, a want, an experience of uh, violence or um, witnessing tragedy. But sometimes they can also be characterized as little t traumas like living in poverty, um, constantly being concerned about where, you know, the next meal is going to come from, um, you know, having parents that are, are have chronic stress themselves and just uh, wit- witnessing that, living in violent neighborhoods where um, just getting to school is, is dangerous. So those are, those are the kinds of things that I'm finding people talk about as trauma as well. And there's sort of two different things. So there's sometimes there's kids that have um, that may have low experience of chronic stress, and then they have just a major trauma, and so that requires treatment because um, that is is harmful to their learning, a, a, an adverse experience to their learning. But sometimes it's just they have this chronic stress, um, and it's just th- these small things that undermine their um, their nervous system and their ability to learn because what happens in chronic stress or, or little t trauma situations is that um, the endocrine system is affected. And so kids are in a constant state of uh, fight, flight, or freeze. And so they can't learn as well. And what I think sometimes typically happens is that kids that are are externalizers that um, that because of their experiences they um, have behavior problems that are external to them that the schools they the schools have to address them in some way they might um, receive evaluation and supports but kids that have that chronic stress that have internalizing um, disorders or in not disorders internalizing behaviors they may not ever get treatment. Because that kind of stress and that kind of um, trauma is fairly invisible. Um, And so one way to address this problem is school-wide supports or universal supports. So um, in my other research, um, NASP has an an article from the National Association of Secondary School Principals called The Role of School Psychologists in Supporting Traumatized Students. And that's going to be, we're going to share that um, in our drive for you guys because it's a nice comprehensive article. They talk about um, school-wide PBIS and multi-tiered systems of support as ways, as one way to address um, trauma at or chronic stress at a universal level with prevention, preventative measures, also making sure not to re-traumatize kids by punitive measures um, so that that positive behavior support is really helpful. So there's a lot out there. There's a lot of resources. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of discussion going on. What have you guys found as we've been discussing having this conversation? I feel like I've been talking forever now. (laughs) <laughs> I, re- I reflected back and I was thinking like grad school, how, how prepared was I? How much did I know, you know, back in grad school? 
And I want to hear about how you guys felt just, you know, without having a lot of interaction with kids. I remember one class that focused on trauma and it was taught by like, a sociology professor who was pretty like absent-minded and all over the place. And I really didn't feel like I got a lot out of that class. What was your experience um, with trauma in grad school? Rachel? I'll say that I don't remember. I, didn't, I certainly didn't have a class specific to it. Um, I had like a counseling with adolescents uh, class and a counseling with. Um, we haven't seen feedback, or is that the cat? Right. That was me trying to open the YouTube link. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so I don't remember for sure, not a specific class, and I don't remember really very much at all in my counseling courses devoted specifically to trauma. Um, so yeah, I feel very unprepared <laughs> for this type of stuff, honestly. Yeah, I think. Does that mean feedback? Yeah. Sorry. I feel like we spent a lot of time talking about PBIS in my program and multi-tier systems of support and um, anxiety and depression and chronic stress and post-traumatic stress disorder. So more like sort of specific um, diagnoses and specific problems that need um, to be found and supported in school. But I don't remember talking specifically about treatment for trauma for children, you know, as a specific uh, course or a specific subject. So, yeah. And one of the things, oh, one of the other things that I'll mention really quickly that I found was the recent lawsuit that was filed in 2015 in Compton, California, the Compton Unified School District. Um, and part of that lawsuit was talking about this, this, this chronic trauma that kids faced, which is just living in this very impoverished area, a uh, very violent area. Um, not only do, do this, does the school want some kind of uh, support for these kids that are maybe not necessarily in the special education system that have not been identified as special education students. They also talk about um they also talk about the teachers themselves because teachers are tasked with identifying kids that have um, experienced, that are experiencing trauma. And they say without adequate training, resources, and supports, all school personnel could be susceptible to secondary traumatic stress. Um, and so I think that is a real problem that if we're, if we're in these schools um, where kids are, that kids are facing these, you know, high A scores or traumatic stress at, at levels that we're not sure how to identify or we're not prepared, trained. Um, the adults are, themselves are are suffering from that as well. So I thought that was interesting in the lawsuit and um, an interesting problem to to address as well. Okay. Um, am I sounding okay? You are. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, I'm just, we, the three of us have very different roles. So I'm thinking um, we can share a little bit about, without going into detail, I guess, our day to day. 
I was chatting with Rachel earlier, and Rachel has, I would say, the most traditional school psych role of the three of us, where she's primarily involved in like evaluations. And so she shared she doesn't have a whole lot of trauma experience. You know, some of the kids she evaluates may have trauma histories, but it doesn't really um, is not really a factor when you're when you're just doing an evaluation with the student. So um, I have I work with more significant populations, so I feel like more of my students have trauma history and I also provide counseling service. So I think I have a little more experience in the area, but I'm not like all up in it every day. Rebecca, what's your experience with trauma in your role? Um, hmm. So I, I do do a lot of um, individual counseling and group counseling. Um, I work in, um, a high SES school, just school. Um, and so it's a unique um, role in itself. It's a private school. And so I have experience in counseling. And so, you know, individual students have, you know, lots of, lots of different experience, life experiences that inform their counseling needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so and I'm just, I'm really interested in the topic. I'm, I'm, I think that the, the state of our schools, our public schools in general, could use. Um, I really like the concept of trauma-informed schools because if we know what we're looking for, we can we can catch the kids that we that may otherwise be missed. You know, with the right kinds of supports. I think PBIS is so helpful. Uh, you know, punishing a child who can't pay attention because of their situation at home it can be so negatively impactful that if um, school personnel were, were more aware of um, how, tra- how traumatic experiences play out in, in a normal school day, I think, you know, our kids would be so better off, so much better off in general. So, I mean, I don't know if that answers the question, but. Um, no, it, it was a good baby answer. And I think <laughs> Be cautious about what we say, of course. Yeah. <laughs> we are live in the world. Um, so I am a member of a crisis team where I work. Um, so I've been through some very like crisis-specific training. Um, in my county, they have something called a Consortium for Trauma, Illness, and Grief. So I've been through like a year-long, like once-a-month um, training thing through that. And I got to go to this awesome um, in-service, I don't know, conference, whatever you want to call it, um, day where I got to hear this person speak this fall. And it was just great. I walked out of there, you know, talking about trauma and resilience, but feeling really inspired, which was cool because trauma is kind of depressing, you know, like um, talking about this stuff is not fun. So I don't know, I felt hopeful, which was cool. So I wanted to share a little bit about um, my recent professional development experiences. Okay, I'm going to screen share. Let me know if it's like looking right and stuff. Okay. I'm a screen share phobic. Um, I think (laughs) last time I did this, I like got kicked out of the entire, (laughs) the entire thing. So that was not fun. Um, So far, so good. Trauma? Yeah, very good. So um, my crisis team did like a book study where um, my organization bought a whole bunch of these books, like 20 or something, and all of us got to read it. Um, This is the book called Fostering Resilient Learners, Strategies for Creating a Trauma-Sensitive Classroom by um, 
Kristen Soares and Pete Hall, with Pete Hall. Kristen is like a mental health counselor, and Pete Hall is an administrator. So it's an ebook, about fourteen ebook or paper. It's about twenty five dollars. So I read this, and it was very cool. This book is aimed at people in education but at the end of each chapter there's always like reflective questions where you can think and really just take the time to think about what you do and think about students and um, it would be awesome for any teacher who's working with kids with trauma I would highly recommend it since it's mostly focused on the classroom um, but really like we don't know our kids experiences we don't know um, their deepest, darkest histories and backgrounds. I mean, we know some things, we know what's in their file, we know what's been disclosed, but we don't know everything. Like we don't know who's in jail and who's not, you know what I mean? Like there's just so much that fostering resilience in general, regardless of trauma is such a good thing. Cause no matter what a score a kid has, um, they could work on being more resilient. Um, the second thing I went to was um, this, was a conference I was talking about through the Consortium for Trauma, Illness, and Grief. Ken Ginsberg is a uh, medical doctor. He works in Pennsylvania, this place called Covenant House. He works with um, homeless youth um, who have like ACE scores of like seven or eight, you know, kids with really a lot of trauma, you know, in, in bad experiences. Um, and so that was the thing I, I left feeling hopeful, um, which was awesome. So Rebecca already went over this. Uh, these are just some of the ACEs that, that people experience and they have a bad impact on our brain and also increased health risks. So I want to like, just, I have these, all these random slides that I just want to share what I've learned because it was awesome. So I'm just going to kind of ramble on and go through this. Sound good? Yes, please okay. do. So obviously we don't want to trigger trauma. Like we are a school, we're here for education. We're not like digging deep and focusing on the trauma in like a CBT therapy. Like we are, you know, focused more on the education and just the day, the child's day as mental health people, not on really working through whatever, you know, rape they experience, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of like outside referrals for, for really digging into trauma. So we have to um, make sure we don't accidentally trigger students though. We have to listen, we have to build trust, be calm, have boundaries and know our own buttons. Um, don't touch kids, you know, give them space, and don't focus on the trauma. Um, what I learned was kids who need us the most might push us away. Um, they might withhold rewards, push our buttons. You know, the ones that need the most love show it to us in the most horrible ways sometimes. Um, and, you know, kids who've been through it, um, been through a lot of trauma, bring a lot to this world. You know, the things they've been through um, and the way they've gotten through it and they're strong, amazing people. And so we have to kind of value that. So um, in the book that I read, Fostering Resilient Learners, there was this term called cement shoes. And like at first I thought, oh, you know, you're like drowning in the, like the mafia, you know? Um, but the, the idea was staying grounded, staying true to who you are. Don't let the waves, you know, take you down. You know, keep your cement shoes on. Stay, stay grounded and true to your integrity. So always like thinking about what's really important to you. What is your mission? What is your personal goal, your mission statement, that kind of thing. Um, so you don't get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, in the button pushing, those kinds of things. The other cool um, thing from that book was staying out of Oz. Like don't let the tornado, the behavior, the experience sweep you away. Um, I thought that was a, a cool idea. Like just being self-aware enough to not let things take you over. 
Um, they use the terms upstairs and downstairs brain, um, which I thought was really cool um, in talking about um, the stress response of going into our downstairs brain and the upstairs brain being our like front, prefrontal cortex, being able to think and reason. Um, so, you know, we need to try and stay in our upstairs brain so we can stay calm and we need to breathe and we need to try to avoid getting agitated like our children, our students are. And we need to help them recognize that they are going depth to their downstairs brain sometimes, that they are out of control, that they're experiencing a stress response and they're not thinking clearly and stuff. So I thought that was a cool concept that I want to like teach my own students. Mm -hmm. um, remembering it's not about you is good because a lot of times it feels personal. Um, and they also are pushing to keep the expectations high. Like don't do it for them. Kids live up or down to our expectations. So, you know, saying, hey, let me do that for you is like the worst pretty much, which I don't know, like as a helper, I always want to help kids. Sometimes I have to like stop myself from literally helping them, you know, with tasks and stuff. So I thought that was helpful. Self-care, which we, we did that episode on work-life balance. So I won't go into that too much, but um, they suggest, you know, loving yourself, having me time, um, pushing yourself and challenging yourself and um, focusing on what you're grateful for. Love, love, love. Uh, like, I don't know about you guys, but I just literally love the kids I work with. You know, I just think they're awesome and they make me smile and laugh every day. And um, and this was in this through the training I've been through. It's kind of giving you permission to um, love the children in an appropriate, like with boundaries way. Um, the quote that I loved was love is seeing someone as they deserve to be seen as they really are, not through the lens of behavior they have sometimes needed to display. I thought that was really cool. I love that. Yeah. So relationships matter, be safe and available, view them as the person they're meant to be, be flexible, um, widen your vision, don't get so focused on the problem, like use your peripheral vision um, and view them as they might be forever changed, but they're not forever damaged. Another quote from the book was every thorn has a rose. So like being graceful and not letting the little things, the thorns trip you up, like remember there's still a rose there. Um, don't let fear take you over. Don't not act because you're afraid like so-and-so's mom's going to flip out on you or something, you know, do what you feel is best. Even if you know, there might be some conflicts along the way. Um, there's this cool idea called the cookie jar idea from foster resilient learners. Um, it's about praise and like Rebecca, I know you're all about the growth mindset and they do like recognize it's better to praise kids for their effort. Like there's certain compliments that like go farther than just like a, you look beautiful today kind of compliment. <laughs> um, so they did um, stress like helping, you know, praising kids is good, but we also have to praise ourselves and like, give ourselves praise and like don't be too focused on other people giving us praise, but learn to like praise yourself too, which was really a nice idea and teaching kids to accept praise in ourselves as well. So there were some tips that are more counseling specific that I've um, put together from my my reading and my professional development. Um, it's okay to be not okay. Like where they're at, it's okay. This is where they're at. Um, ask questions instead of lecturing, which I need to work on myself as a parent. I don't think I, I think I lecture <laughs> my own child more than I lecture students, but you know, lecturing is something that doesn't work um, in a counseling relationship. Uh, have you guys heard of the term paper tigers? Remind me. I feel like I have. Okay. So like 
you know, our body, oh, like, go back like a hundred years, right? People like lived out in the wild. They're, sorry, more than a hundred years, you know, um, before long ago, like tigers were a real danger, real tigers. If you were out in the jungle and a tiger came up behind you, you know, your body would have a stress response, the fight or flight, right? And that would be you survive. So that anxiety helps us as a species, right? But, but now there's paper tigers, right? There's, um, you know, a flashback of our thoughts. There's um, anxiety about, you know, speaking in front of people. There's all sorts of paper tiger things that are not real dangers, but that trigger the same response and make us um, freak out, you know, release cortisol and all those things. So helping kids distinguish, like, you are safe versus you're not safe, um, it's also something they recommend. I love that paper tiger. Like, is this a paper tiger or is this a real tiger right now? Like teaching kids that there's a difference. Um, and I just like that analogy. Um, educating kids in their upstairs and downstairs brain. There's other, there's other very specific counseling related activity that Ginsburg recommended. Um, having kids draw like a house with rooms or like a Tupperware container with like where you separate it into little lines like little cubes little boxes of little bits of food in each section and the kids fill in each room of the house or each section of the Tupperware container with with their stresses with their worries and they fill it in and draw it out and then you only focus on one box or one room at a time so it's, because it's like a you know it's like a tornado it's overwhelming when they think about all the stuff going on in their life and in counseling you know, you can't tackle everything at once, but tackling the one thing, you know, tackling, I can't keep up with my homework, you know, one small stressor, one little piece of the room of a house or piece of the container, it makes it more manageable. So I thought that was a cool, like visual for seeing their problems. And it also could be a way to get kids to open up and write out a lot of what's going on in their life and, and stuff like that. Yeah, that's great. It reminds me of the DBT house. Have you guys ever seen that? Um, oh. It's a, I can try to link it. It's um, it's similar, but it's it. You know, the the rooms have sort of special categories. So there's sort of the foundation. Yeah. Um, you know, the, those are sort of maybe the bigger, more predominant um, things you want to work on, or problems, or paper tigers. And then as you go up, they're sort of more um, like deeper, higher level or deeper level worries, but. It's, yeah, I like that. And it, the whole, and all of those tips remind me of DBT skills um, and CBT skills, like catching your thoughts and your self-talk and um, helping kids to, to even before they recognize whether it's a paper tiger or a real tiger, to recognize maybe what they're saying to themselves and how does that make them feel and, and so that they can then see that it maybe it's a paper tiger. Mm-hmm. So these are just a list of, of recommended coping strategies from Dr. Ginsburg, and he actually has um, a resilience text that's available for um, purchase that we got to hear about. So these are um, some strategies he recommends um, teaching kids and working on with kids. I'm not going to go through that. And then the coolest thing that he did in this in-service was um, he went through this kind of like conversation um, with the child. Um, like there wasn't really a child there, so... Uh, have you guys ever had heard kids say like I have an anger problem? Yes. Yeah. So he so there's the Psychology Today link. He goes through this this dialogue that he does with kids, um, and he changes just by asking questions about their experiences. He changes the frame of anger problem to having a protector's brain. 
So, you know, that anger, you know, it came from somewhere, you know, they have people in their, in their life that they are trying to protect kind of a thing. So it's just the coolest thing. If you have kids who have been through it, who've been through trauma and have anger issues that they disclose, but you can't always get past that. This is like, it seems like a very transformational conversation you could have with, with a child. So if that applies to you, check it out. Um, other takeaways, problem-free is not fully prepared, right? Like, we don't need to protect our kids and, like, I mean, we need to protect our kids, but you know what I mean? Like, never having a problem leads to people never being resilient. So um, having problems in our life is an opportunity. And um, I already mentioned the other thing. So that's pretty much, uh, in a nutshell, what I um, experienced. That's so good. I really like that um, all of those tips um, because they they inform a, a school culture and a school climate that is more um, we can do this together. You know, it just it's this this message to kids that they yeah, this life might be stressful and these things happen and and you may have gone through these sad, mad, and bad things, but um, you know, you, we're on your side, right? And you, you have your teachers that care about you and your school psychologists and um, your family. And so how do we, what do we do? What are the, like, what can we do today to feel better? Um, let's, you know, think about your breathing and let's uh, catch that negative self-talk and let's, um, you deserve to feel safe and we're going to figure this out. I just, I love that. And I feel like if schools can do that well, that can make a big difference. And sometimes it just gets lost in, you know, in the curriculum and we need to study all this stuff because you're going to have a test next month. That's going to determine whether or not the district thinks I'm a good teacher or, you know, this is a good school. And so that's a dangerous way to be in schools. (laughs) I don't know about you guys. Sometimes I feel pressured to like be, the mental health person in a, in a child's life. And like, we are like sort of the front line. Um, and this book also, there was like a line, like being just, you know, safe enough. And like, you know, you don't have to be like everything to every kid. You just have to be like sort of good enough and safe enough for them. You know, yeah. you don't have to be like their like life hero. You just have to be there. Yeah. And, you know, um, and I love it. I, I'm not going to remember who said this, but it really stuck with me. So I'm going to quote someone that I can't remember. But um, he was talking about policies and programs. And the question was, um, which are the best, you know, to, to help our kids, which are the best programs and interventions and policies and curricula. Um, and he said, you know what, I've never seen a program save a kid. I've never seen a a policy or a curriculum, you know, solve these problems. I've seen love solve these problems and relationships solve these problems and people solve these problems. So that just made me feel really good that, yes, I'm going to, I'm looking for evidence-based practice. I'm trying to learn as much as I can about what works and, um, and what the research says. But at the end of the day, if all I do is have this, excellent relationship with this kid that makes them feel supported and cared for and not alone, then that's a lot. And, and I, I really, that message stayed with me. I really like that. I like that too. And that make me, makes me feel better. Cause sometimes I, at the end of the day, I'm kind of like, 
I feel ineffective. Sure. But I, I know, though, that I think that the kids that I do see for counseling do see me as, you know, somebody that they can hopefully you know, trust and, and rely upon and stuff. So so hearing stuff like that makes me feel a little bit better. Cause, so good. I wish I could remember who said it. <laughs> but, um, and Anna, when you were talking about the whole triggering thing and we don't want to, you know, bring this up. And that, that made me think of, um, I mean... I, and I talked about how I didn't have a huge background, background in grad school on trauma and counseling. Um, and then one of our viewers actually piped in and was able to tell me that they've added that to my program since I've been there. So that's really cool. Thanks for that. And I'm wondering also in my head, you know, if a lot of schools and graduate programs are kind of adding that in as we've seen more and more problems and this becomes more and more an issue that we see kind of on a, on a unfortunately, a regular basis. Um, but so, yeah, I didn't have very much background. And then I spent several years just doing kind of the testing school psychology thing. I didn't see many for um, counseling cases until I went to uh, Texas for a year. And then all of a sudden had like 30 kids on my counseling caseload. And um, in addition to testing, it was just, you know, crazy. So I really had to kind of scramble to figure out a lot of stuff. And I just I remember from that that hectic, crazy year, I, I did have one student who um was just severely depressed and had you know a long history of trauma and she would just just to talk about anything even totally unrelated to the trauma um she was just break down and i really had to kind of navigate not sending her back to class a wreck and it was it was so hard because it just anything it seemed like triggered her because she was just so um in such a, a bad place kind of then and I had to refer out of course and get help and I was like I'm really really concerned for her but that was kind of like the goal sometimes of my sessions was not to trigger her I did not want to send her back to class and like like she was and it, it was really really hard um but <laughs> yeah, yeah that is really hard I just hard. copied and pasted I hear my so let me make sure um Nope, I should be on pause. Is that better? Does that sound okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, I was going to say, I just copied and pasted on the School Psych Podcast page on Facebook, NASP, um, the fact sheet, they have um, warning signs of trauma for those kids maybe that, you know, that we, we don't realize that they have suffered a traumatic event or have something um, traumatic happen in their, in their lives. Um, so, um, but that, that's like the, the big T traumas. And I think what often happens for those, um, kids when we find out that, or when, when it's obvious because these warning signs come up and we're able to say something's going on with this child is they do get referred out for, you know, it's maybe we, um, in my role, I am able to work with, um, you know, outside providers, mental health providers and, um, uh, other kinds of uh, treatment opportunities outside of school and try to bring in some of the, the practice or the reinforcement of um, skills that they've learned outside into school. But that doesn't maybe necessarily happen in every public school when kids get referred out for treatment. It's like they go out, they get treatment, they come back, and they're almost put back into a tier one, you know, Right. It's not like that they have anything that says they need continued care in school if they're if they're not 
already receiving that as part of, the, of their IEP. So I think that's another uh, p- potential benefit of having trauma-informed schools, that then we become aware of this um, and we just don't you know, treat it as like, oh, they left for like they had the flu and they came back and now everything's fine, you know, because trauma doesn't work like that. Hmm. That's a good point. And I'm in such a, a special ed world because my, in where I work, everyone's like self-contained. And so like, we know so much more about our students and have smaller caseloads to have time to do all that stuff. But in like a you know, tier one kind of student, Who's in public school mainstream gen ed classes, you know, you don't there's a lot you don't know. Right. So that's an awesome point. Mm-hmm. And there's gotta be so much that we you know that we really don't know. Um I you know knew a kid and nobody thought anything was wrong and then um you know something kind of hit the fan and it's a huge news story and we're like sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe that this kid was going through this and living this and nobody really had had any clue. So it, it's scary just to think about, you know, we, we often know some of, you know, oh, this, this kid went through this and this kid, and we can address that, but just the amount of stuff that's going on to these kids that nobody really knows about is scary. Yeah. Yeah. So one, I'm going to throw one quote out there because I think we're probably wrapping up. Um, the another quote from my my conference I went to was they they come for the content, but you know they change because of the context. So we provide that context um, to support them, and just want to quote something positive. <laughs> Any uh, final thoughts? Um, we have Drive on Google Drive full of resources, documents. Um, Rachel's Baby Pet Project is amazing. So there's going to be some resources in there. So please check it out um, under the Impressive link on our school site podcast page. You can find the link to the Google Drive. So like us on Facebook and um, check it out. And you can email us resources you want to add to the Drive. You know, um, we're better when we work together. So you're, everything is welcome. Yeah. Absolutely. And thank you for your comments. Um, I've been trying to follow along uh, uh, on the YouTube channel. And um, for our viewer that said she she has uh, some trauma training, if you have anything you'd like to add to the drive or, you know, a PowerPoint or any resources, please, please email or message us because, yeah, that's what makes the drive so great. We've had so many great contributions and we're um, looking for more. <laughs> Thanks for that. Before we wrap up, I did want to mention, um, I think we talked briefly before that NASP is getting together kind of Twitter chats and whatnot. So um, I know that there's one planned coming up on Wednesday and um, Rebecca and I are going to be involved and and hopefully uh, set to kind of co-moderate, which is a little bit scary because we're not really huge Twitter people. (laughs) It might be a train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> we need you. In other words, we really need you. <laughs> but it should be fun. Um, yes. Even, even if it's kind of a good laugh in how not to do a Twitter chat. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so Wednesday, um, I think 9 o'clock, right, Rebecca? I believe so. And we will definitely post more information as, as it's confirmed. But um, I'm pretty sure and – We'll be using the hashtag NASP Advocates as well as, um, 
I think we're, we'll be talking, we'll be talking about School Psychology Awareness Week. Um, so we'd love to hear from you, your experiences for what you do that week, what is helpful, resources, and we hope to be sharing a lot of that as well. So look for us on Twitter. These are This is our first attempt at getting really Twitter savvy. I've already messed up a couple of chats before. But this is the first time that I've had actual like sort of training, so I may not. I'm confident that I might be okay. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Okay, Good night. Bye.